Hello and welcome to Growing Tech Fast, the condensed org 3D podcast where we talk about growing tech startups with those who have grown them. Uh, today is an extra special episode, uh, one I've been um, looking very much forward to. Today I'm joined by Bob Ackerman. Uh, Bob is the founder of Allegis Cyber and a co-founder of Data Tribe. He's been investing in cybersecurity startups for over 20 years and has been uh, referred to as one of cybersecurity's money men. Uh, finally, Bob's been recognized as a Fortune 100 uh, cybersecurity executive and sits on the boards of do dozens of fast growth cybersecurity companies. Uh, Bob, absolute pleasure to have you on the pod today. How are you doing? Uh, ben, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me along. Yeah, no problem at all, Bob. Um, typically, would love to start with um, just a brief intro to you, really, a little bit about who you are, how you've got where you're, you're at, and what your mission is at the moment. Well, sounds good. Well, look, it, it, the short story on me is a computer science background, uh, the, the deeper end of the technology pool. I'm actually an operating systems guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of out, of out of university, jumped right into uh, working with uh, tech companies along the way, kind of got the itch to move away from big tech and uh, jumped to the world of startups. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on, as part of that journey, had the opportunity to start and lead uh, two startups. One was uh, one of the two main Unix operating systems houses in the world. So uh, a company I grew out of cash flow uh, back at a point in time, just to date myself, when venture capitalists weren't really sure about software as a standalone business. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we grew that business out of uh, cash flow. Uh, which is a great way to learn about building a business. So you really learn how to prioritize and to focus because you don't have the cushion of other people's money to insulate mm -hmm. you from reality. Uh, you basically, if you're going to eat, you have to kill something that day. Uh, and uh, so you become very, very focused and, uh, you know, led the growth of that business uh, to operations uh, around the world, did a lot of work uh, with folks like AT&T that owned Unix and Apple Computer, did all of the, the original Apple uh, Unix development work. Uh, and uh, subsequently started uh, another company, uh, a company called InfoGear, uh, which uh, originated the iPhones. And so uh, we took a small piece of intellectual property on a national semiconductor. Uh, we owned the patent for the integration of uh, the web and telephony. Uh, actually owned trademarks iPhone and iPad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, sold that uh, company successfully to Cisco. Uh, and then a few years later, Apple decided to uh, build iPhones and uh, Stepped all over a lot of intellectual property, but uh, <laughs> you know, along the way, I had the I had the, the pleasure to be backed by a couple of really great venture firms, Sequoia Capital uh, and NEA, and, and both really encouraged me to look at uh, transitioning uh, into venture capital. Uh, and so, uh, you know, back in uh, just about uh, what 26 years ago at this point in time, coming up on 27 years, uh, I uh, started what is today Allegis Capital. And uh, Allegis, as you pointed out, uh, we are, uh, we've been investing in cybersecurity for about 22 years now. Uh, we were the first dedicated cyber venture firm focused on cyber, raised the first dedicated cyber venture funds. Uh, we're pretty good at it. Uh, you know, we've got a, for those that, uh, that count scores, uh, our gross IRR over 20 years in cybersecurity is 57%. So reasonable wow. performance. Uh, and then, uh, as you also mentioned, uh, about seven years ago, I co-founded with my partner, Mike Janke, uh, Data Tribe. Data Tribe is described as a, as a foundry. We like that metaphor. Uh, it, uh, you know, forging uh, raw ingredients into things of higher value and greater utility. And Data Tribe operates in uh, just outside of Columbia, Maryland. 
And what we do at Data Tribe is we start companies, uh, principally with teams coming out of national security. And, uh, you know, so we start basically three companies a year. We've started 18 companies at this point in time. Uh, 17 of those 18 uh, went on to, uh, to be financed at the Series A level. Uh, one of them, we just didn't, we just thought we were just too far ahead of the market and decided mm. not to take, take that company forward. But we really, we partner with entrepreneurs who are technical domain masters, but don't really have a lot of experience uh, building companies. And we provide their, uh, their, uh, their seed capital. We move them into our offices. Uh, Data Tribe has an operating team of eight that have all got three to five years, three to five startups behind them. They really partner with the tech entrepreneurs uh, to start companies in, in the world of, uh, of cyber. Uh, if you look at things like Dragos and the industrial control security space, that is a company that started with three engineers out of the NSA at Data Tribe and today is a, is a unicorn and the leader in the industrial security marketplace. Inveil and homomorphic encryption, Strider and in counterintelligence. So the stuff we do there is, is very cutting edge uh, and really part of our thematic uh, uh, approach to the business, which is if you want to build cutting edge defense, you start with teams that broke the offensive playbooks because virtually all of the threats we operate with in cybersecurity today originate in an offensive playbook. Unlike any other area of technology, offense actually paces innovation in cybersecurity. So if you want to understand where cybersecurity companies need to get built, where defensive responses are need to get, need to get created, you take your cues from offense. And so what we do at Data Tribe is we identify those offensive teams in areas where there is expertise, where we know companies need to get built. And uh, we, we create those companies there. So that's, uh, that's kind of what we do. Amazing, yeah, su such a good uh, profile summary. Uh, I'm interested actually just off the back of that. So um, to, it, it sounds like you've got quite a, a good uh, process, sorry, and, and a fairly defined, um, plan really with, with the data drive companies of few engineers from national security build up from there to what extent is that a rigid playbook that you sort of lather rinse repeat with new ideas versus you're switching that up depending on the situation yeah i mean it, it, it's our it was our guiding principle our founding principle uh, because i frankly at allegis i'd taken teams out of the nsa and moved them to silicon valley uh, mm -hmm. and had quite a bit of success with that and, and when we started data tribe uh, the, the catalyst was really twofold. Number one, we got to a place where we felt we understand this market really, really well. We understand, uh, you know, there's a, there was a great Canadian hockey player uh, that played in the U.S. by the name of Wayne Gretzky, and people always used to talk to Gretzky about what makes you so good. He says, I skate to where the puck is going to be. And, <laughs> and what we got to at Allegis is basically a bias that we knew what needed to be built, and we were going to start building companies, starting companies. It's, a, it's an incredibly labor-intensive process. It's a little hard to do inside of a traditional venture firm. So we said, we got to find a better way to do that. And in parallel with that, we got to a place seven years ago where I can no longer move teams from Maryland, where the National Security Agency is based, out to Silicon Valley. The, it just didn't work. You know, a, mm. a senior engineer coming out of the National Security Agency may make $138,000 a year, married, one or two children, has a home. There was no way you were going to move them to Silicon Valley. You could triple their salary and you couldn't move them to Silicon Valley. And so our conclusion was, well, let's, let's go to the source. Let's go to Maryland. And, and what we found when we got to Maryland was, was two things. On the downside, absolutely no tradition of venture capital financing of startup activity. No tradition. 
at the same time, what you found in Maryland was the largest concentration of cyber engineering in the world. <laughs> 110,000 cyber engineers, 16 cyber centers of excellence, University of Maryland graduating more cyber degrees than any other university system anywhere in the world. Uh, now, how do you get that dichotomy, that, that, that deep reservoir of cyber engineering talent is a byproduct of the US government spending tens of billions of dollars a year for decades developing advanced cyber capabilities. Uh, but again, the bulk of the, those resources were deployed against government services. So that, that whole Silicon Valley playbook, that tradition of venture capital financing entrepreneurs really didn't exist in Maryland. So, you know, on the one hand, I, I, kind, of, I kind of talk about this as sort of a frontier market. You know, you, you, you get to a brand new market where there's tremendous opportunity, but no infrastructure. Mm. And so our response was, okay, we're going to create the infrastructure. And that infrastructure was basically data tribes. So we took Silicon Valley playbook, a little bit of capital, our knowledge of the cyber market on a global basis. We probably know every customer everywhere in the world. Uh, you know, we know all the top executives. We put all that in a box uh, and we called it data tribe. And we opened up for business, frankly, next to the National Security Agency with a big sign that says entrepreneurs want it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and we began to look for, you know, entrepreneurial engineering talent uh, that had developed their skills at a very, very high level with the backing of the U.S. government. Many times uh, offensive-oriented engineering talent, many times data science-related uh, engineering talent, and uh, we would transition those teams when they were ready to start a company over the data tribe. And it's been, it's been a highly successful program. It's unique in the world, and it's been very, very successful. Yeah, and it's uh, the way you explain it, it's easy to see why. Um, but it sounds like no one had that idea before you. So um, that's, that's amazing. Um, and when, when, you're, when you're looking at an investment opportunity, then how, what is it that excites you or actually sort of scares you about that kind of opportunity? And then how, at what point do you look back and decide whether that's been a success or not? Yeah, I, I look, I think fundamentally we're in the people business. Uh, you know, yeah, we're looking for great big markets. Uh, we're looking for disruptive technology that can respond to those market needs and create value in the process, both for the eventual customer, but also for the investors and for the team. But fundamentally, we're in the people business. You know, from, from start to finish, it's never a straight line. I always, uh, you know, I, I describe it as akin to running through a, a minefield naked in the middle of the night. You know, the, the chances of getting through and packed pretty remote and 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 so you start saying well how do you how do you mitigate those risks people you know and frankly you know the right investors the right combination of not just capital capital is a commodity it's the experience in navigating your way through that minefield so for us it's is a is it a big idea is there disruptive technology that will respond to that big idea but fundamentally, it comes down, is it a great team? Is it a team that we can basically lock arms with, become partners with, where we can work together, you know, them sharing their technical vision, uh, their technical expertise with our experience in building companies, our understanding of the markets, to mitigate the risk that's inherent in any startup companies. That's kind of a package, you know, that, that we look for. Do we always get it right? No, uh, we don't always get it right. Uh, but if, if you do it enough, uh, you, you, when you meet teams around ideas, you, you, you get a feeling 
Uh, you know, now due diligence is how you validate that feeling. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, uh, if you do it enough, you know, and, and our team have all been entrepreneurs, you know, we've all sat in that seat. We've all been faced with those same choices. Uh, as I tell entrepreneurs all the time, when you're looking for a venture capital partner, find somebody who's walked in your moccasin, somebody who's been on that same journey. Uh, if, if your investors haven't had that experience of laying awake at two in the morning going, how in the hell do I make payroll next month? They don't know. I don't care what business school they went to. Unless you have that experience, you don't know. And, and so for us, you know, our, our team has that DNA. It's core to who we are. Very old school venture capital in a lot of ways. But, but we're looking for entrepreneurs that value that where they, we can form that trusted relationship where, you know, we can say, no, 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 not, not, not in that direction, move over here a little bit to the right, or let me tell you what's coming up. Let me tell you where the speed bumps are going to get you. Uh, we're looking for that kind of relationship where we, we really view ourselves as, as partners, uh, as much less than financiers. I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, we're not financial managers. We build companies. Mm -hmm. Along the way, do we deploy capital? in support of that mission, but our job is to find great teams with big ideas, addressing major problems in the marketplace, form a tight bonded partnership to build companies. And, and that's how we measure success at the end of the day. So when you're, so when you're in the room, maybe the, for the first time with, with uh, a collection of founders, before, yeah. perhaps before you've done major due diligence and, and you're kind of hearing it out, do you have a, sort of utility belt of questions that you have at the ready to go to where you know if you if you qualify xyz you're going to come away with that feeling whether it's in the positive direction or, or the negative yeah look i mean what we're doing that first meeting is we're assessing uh you know frankly um we are yeah can, you know can they clearly articulate the value proposition and do they do they really understand the market they're going after how big that market is what the customer's point of pain is, how their solution is going to resonate with that customer's point of pain. But in parallel with that storytelling, we're evaluating the people. Who's in the room? How do they interact with each other? Uh, do they collaborate with each other? Or is it one person dominate everything? Uh, how do they respond to questions? Are they, uh, are they um, defensive? Are they open? Uh, you know, what I love to hear is people say, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. We've got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so we're really assessing, you know, the people uh, and, and how do they respond to constructive criticism? How do they respond to questions? Uh, you know, you're really trying to formulate an opinion. Uh, if, it's, if it's a big idea and it's solid tech, can we work with these people? Uh, is there really going to be that trusted partnership? And you got to remember, you know, uh, for entrepreneurs, the objective of the first meeting is not to close on a financing, it's to get to the second meeting, mm. right? And so I think what you really want to do is you want to, in that first meeting, demonstrate your knowledge of the market, your knowledge of the problem set, why your solution validates. You're establishing basically your bona fides. You know, that's what you want to do in that first meeting. There will be many meetings after that first meeting to get into a lot of details, a lot of back and forth. We'll talk about your models. But, you know, I, I think understanding what is the objective of the first meeting with a venture capital, it's to get to the second meeting. 
mm-hmm. right? And to begin to build a rapport. You know, sometimes, you know, people walk in with, with, with phenomenally, sometimes overproduced PowerPoint decks, and that's fine. You know, but sometimes what I love to do, turn you loose at a whiteboard, unscripted, no deck, nothing, <laughs> right? And, and what you find is, you know, it's a great way to measure the ability of people's skill set on the fly to articulate, to capture, to distill, and to communicate. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite tactics. So I like that tactic. Sounds scary though, sitting on the other side of a Zoom call. Well, you, you, find, now, you, find, Bob. you find out you find out real quick how well people know their material. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um and I wanna I wanted to ask you about um the last two years really, because I, I work with with startups as well for, for my, you know, in my day to day. And my kind of uh, perspective is the last two years we've seen three kind of market conditions really you know we had uh, the covid pandemic period which was um you know a, a global situation something we'd never really seen before um hiring pretty much dropped off the face of the earth unfortunately lots of layoffs and stuff like that then following that was a period last year of probably the 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 best uh, hiring um in decades in terms of tech you know lots and lots of funding rounds some of the record breaking series a and seed stages um, and, and now this year, what I'm hearing is that it's getting increasingly more difficult to, to get that funding over the line. So I'm really keen to hear, Bob, from your perspective on the other side of that funding table, what, what those last two years have been like for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, the, the, old, the old expression, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm going to invert that. So if I go back a year ago, this is going to sound contra- you know, contrarian. It was the worst of times. And today is the best of times. <laughs> now, what the heck, Bob? What's going on here, right? Uh, exactly what you said, Ben. Uh, you know, it, it going into, if you were an entrepreneur raising money last year, it was on a relative basis, phenomenally easy. This year, phenomenally difficult. Well, how does Bob Ackerman say last year was the worst of times and this year is the best of times? Because last year, you know, any idea, any team that could spell cybersecurity and almost get it right could raise money, right? <laughs> not a good thing. A lot of things that should not have gotten funded got a, got funded. A lot of Me Too, undifferentiated commodity startups got funded. What does that do? It sucks the oxygen out of the room. It makes it much more difficult for the companies with true differentiation to kind of compete for attention in the marketplace. Vis-a-vis today, it's awfully difficult to get funded. Why is that the best of times? Because only the truly worthy, only solid teams with great ideas that are clearly articulated, you know, that will move the needle, really have a chance of getting funded. So if you think about it holistically from an ecosystem perspective, what we saw a year ago, 18 months ago, was sort of the indiscriminate funding by the venture community of any and all things with cyber in their name. And you know, this is not unique to cybersecurity. This is what the venture herd does. Whenever the venture capital community discovers an area that is, you know, that's gonna run, right? Where there's just a lot of opportunity, it will crowd in and it will overcapitalize that sector. And a lot of value will actually get destroyed in the process. Uh, because it makes it harder for the truly differentiated 
to cut through the noise, you know, whether that's in a funding environment or whether that's talking to customers, uh, you know, the noise level and the associated signal to noise problem becomes almost unmanageable. Today, what we're gonna see is we're gonna see a lot of consolidation. Uh, there are 107 threat intelligence companies in the marketplace. How many do we need? Five will get us there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 10 maybe at the outside. So there's 90 companies that need to go away uh, and they will either fail to raise capital because they are undifferentiated or they will be acquired or they will be consolidated. So what we're gonna go through is kind of a, a great uh, rationalization of the cyber market, uh, which is a good and healthy thing. I, I, I get asked all the time, is cyber overfunded or underfunded? And I said, yes, which is, I said, it's both. So how can it be both? I said, the Me Too undifferentiated commodity stuff is grossly overfunded. The really important stuff, the stuff that's going to change our life three to five years from now that's dealing with the new emerging threats, grossly undercapitalized. Uh, I'll give you an example. When we started Dragos, there was no industrial control systems security business. Uh, it didn't exist. And our, our observation was looking at offensive playbooks is that offensive operators were beginning to target industrial control systems. The Russians took down the Ukrainian power grid, for example, twice. And so we pulled Rob Lee and his co-founders out of the National Security Agency. They were the core of the NSA's offensive industrial team and say, okay, let's develop, let's take your knowledge of offense. You understand the technology, you understand the vulnerabilities, you understand how you would attack critical infrastructure. Let's apply all of that knowledge to build defensive countermeasures because we know that Whenever you have a sort of a cutting edge offensive playbook developed, that four to six years later, that offensive playbook is going to be in the wild. It is going to become, you know, an entirely new threat vector for the marketplace. And so we knew that with industrial control systems. But I'll tell you, when we went out to raise Dragos' Series A financing, uh, I operate within a community of, of cyber investors. There's about 10 uh, that, that really are kind of the core. The information put out a report. I don't know, five or six years ago that said, okay, who are, you know, they, they started this cyber's money men thing. Who are, the, who are the key guys in cyber? And there were 10 of us. And the criteria at that point in time were who's been doing cyber for 15 plus years. And there really were 10 of us. And so I took uh, Dragos out to eight of the 10. Uh, I was one, so I can't give it to myself. I'm already there. Uh, and uh, one of the other guys that was doing something that I thought might turn out to be competitive. And across the board, people, you know, the reaction from the venture, now this is a, this is a cyber venture group, right? It was like, Bob, industrial, nobody's ever made money in industrial. What are you doing in industrial? And I said, you know, it, it's a slow moving market dominated by big players like Emerson and Rockwell and Siemens and Honeywell. And, you know, it's just, it's impossible for disruptive innovation to inject itself into that market. And my perspective was, Cyber is going to change everything you knew about industrial. And so how do you how do you have so much conviction? I said, I understand the offensive playbook. And this is a new area of offensive activity, and it's going to affect all industrial on a global basis. And it's going to totally change that paradigm that, that you articulate about industrial, which in fact has turned out to be the case. And now these are cyber guys who are saying, industrial, really? 
you know, and the second reaction was they're in Maryland, Bob, they should move to Silicon Valley. <laughs> the, class, the classic Silicon Valley response, right? They should move to Silicon Valley. And I said, well, they're not moving to Silicon Valley uh, for all the reasons we talked about earlier, which was kind of the core to founding Data Tribe. Economically, it just wasn't going to happen. Well, you know, Drago's raised their Series D financing a year ago at a $1.7 billion valuation. Uh, you know, and, and so even cyber guys, right, you know, who you think traditionally, and these are guys that I have a lot of respect with. I, I work with all of them. We compete, we co-invest, but the, the ability to see a new emerging market, it just, it wasn't obvious to them. Uh, and this is where this offense defense perspective comes from, but it also in my mind highlights why cyber, you can't do cyber part-time. You know, it's like, it's like doing biotech part-time. Yeah, I'm doing IT and I'm doing biotech. I don't think so. Uh, you've got to develop really, really deep domain knowledge to understand the technology. It's very complex. It's very sophisticated. It moves very, very fast. You have to develop that domain knowledge if you're going to have an unfair competitive advantage in cyber. It's like people starting cyber companies that, yeah, the last thing I did was, uh, was a sharing economy company. Now I'm doing cyber. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, in our playbook, unless you've spent your entire career in cyber, uh, you're probably not going to be a candidate for us because the market moves so quickly that there is not time for you to learn on the job. You have to be, bring a baseline of knowledge, a baseline of experience to be able to track against a rapidly evolving marketplace. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're so right about it being probably the the only industry where it's it's yeah the pace of innovation as you said dictated by the offensive it, it's such a unique and i think that's also another thing that makes cyber really unique going off on a bit of a tangent here is um it's it, a lot of technological products like whether it's a data analytics product or a payments platform when you then go to market and sell it you're selling based on um, value, you know, value add. Whereas cybersecurity is one of the only things I can think of where you're almost selling against the, the risk. So if nothing happens and you don't see any change, then you've got the value. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, which, which, which is a little hard, right? Because you, 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 it's difficult with so much tech, you walk in and say, look, buy my product or subscribe to my service and, and you're gonna, you know, it's going to be, you know, three times as fast, half as expensive, and your IRR is going to be very, very obvious, right? Cyber, it's much more difficult. Uh, you know, cyber, you know, the IRR, the ROI of cyber, uh, there, sometimes there are in some products, it is, uh, we consolidate three, these three products to one product. And so there's a reduction of expense. There's some reduced operational complexity, and there is an implicit ROI associated with that. But so much of cyber is the bad guys didn't get you. Right? <laughs> well, how do you how do you measure that? You know, you <laughs> uh, you know, and so it's it's a you know, and it's a very technical market. You're selling to very technical customers. Uh, you know, it, it it's you know the selling motion is very different, but it all starts with the core technology. And you know, one of the things you talked about, you know, you and I talked about this in advance. One of the things about cyber is cyber is phenomenally resilient. You know, when, when we made the decision to focus exclusively on cyber, it was that conviction of can't do this part time. This stuff is too complex. It moves too fast. But economically it was the realization that the global economy is digitizing and cyber threats are the existential threat to that globalized digital economy. And if you buy that premise, you know, cyber becomes one of those areas where you don't have a choice but to invest. 
uh, the consequences of getting it wrong are unaffordable. And when you're investing in cyber uh, from, a, let's say, an enterprise perspective, you have to invest in cutting edge innovation because there are no awards for second best. Virtually all of the cutting edge innovation is in private companies because big tech can't innovate fast enough to be competitive in cyber. What they do do is acquire cutting edge cyber innovation to offer to their customers. So you've got this robust path to liquidity through either M&A or IPO, much more often M&A. Uh, when a cyber company tends to exit either through an IPO or through M&A, it tends to exit at a 30 to 40% premium to core IT. Look, the cyber market is growing at 12% co uh, compounded annually. Core IT is growing at three. So it's growing four times as fast. Uh, there's an insatiable demand, which all of which kind of puts wind under the wings of the cyber market. And then you realize at the end of the day, the whole thing's uncorrelated. And what I mean by that is cyber continues to grow. Budgets move to the right, up and to the right, regardless of what's going on in the economy. Uh, you saw with COVID, when public equity markets were selling off, cyber companies took off because the entire threat perimeter was redefined, requiring a whole reinvention of the definition of security for the enterprise. Uh, and so it's a phenomenally resilient market. It doesn't mean that cyber is recession proof. Uh, you know, we've seen public cyber companies, uh, while they're doing phenomenally well, we've seen pressure on their multiples, but their fundamental businesses continue to be very, very strong. I look at, uh, I look at my portfolio of companies, uh, by and large, there's always a company that's got an operational issue they're working through and operational challenges. That's part of building companies. Uh, but our, our, you know, Drago's 100% year over year growth and see that for the foreseeable future. Why? Because uh, you've got a greenfield market in industrial security uh, where there is really no historical baseline that everybody now is having to gear up to secure that infrastructure. And it's not one of those areas where utilities or petrochemical facilities or manufacturing facilities say, yeah, we're going to get to security after the recession. <laughs> not really a choice. In fact, adversaries tend to step up their activity in recessionary periods, hoping that people will have lowered their guard a little bit. And so uh, the threats actually become more vibrant in a down economy. So cyber's got a lot of virtues you know, going for it in terms of the demand is always there, the budgets are always growing. Uh, you know, there are challenges, there is, you know, there is vendor saturation that will be rationalized uh, through, you know, this economic, uh, you know, period of correction that we're going through. But uh, the foreseeable future for cyber is incredibly bright. Yeah, well, that, that, that's good for me as well, Bob. So I appreciate your insight on that. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of the time here. So I just had, had one final question that I wanted to, to cover off, um, which was, let's say I'm a, um, a, a, a founder, right? I've got uh, the skills, the knowledge, and the ambition to start something, but I need a venture capitalist partner. What is step one in finding who I should be reaching out to and then getting that first meeting booked in? Well, look, I, I look for somebody with really, really deep domain knowledge. You want to have an intelligent conversation uh, around your innovation, why your innovation is important, the big market opportunity. You want to have that with somebody that can hold their end of the conversation, mm -hmm. uh, somebody that has that domain expertise. So my advice, number one, is, is find a venture capitalist or venture capitalist 
that have a track record of success in cyber. You'll be able to have a much more intelligent conversation. They will be able to give you frank and valued feedback. You may appreciate it. You may not appreciate it. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you're trying to shape your idea, uh, you, know, you know, steel sharpens steel. You know, find the best, brightest people you can and bet your idea with them. You will get better as a result of those interactions. And it's a relatively small group of people. So you really have to do your homework to identify who are those venture capitalists. Once you've identified them, and again, in my world, I kind of think about 10 at the early stage. Um, and, and once you identify those people, uh, you, what you ideally would do is get a warm introduction. You can cold call, but you know, I, 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 I get approached on a thousand deals a year. You know, at Allegis, we'll make six to eight investments. Data Tribe, we'll look at three to 400 opportunities. We'll make three investments, right? So you got a signal to noise problem. Mm. So you've got to figure out how to get through my defensive perimeters, which are not based on ignorance or arrogance. They're based on time. And so you've got to find a way to get my attention. And the way you do that is by looking at people that you know that know me, who will make that warm introduction and say, hey, Bob, you know, I've, I've known John. John knows this stuff. I think what he's working on is really interesting. Would you mind spending a few minutes with them? You know, my business, because, because I have that signal to noise problem, I use proxies, people that I know to help me calibrate how do I parse you know, all of those opportunities. And that warm introduction to one of those 10 investors are the two things that, that I would focus on. Uh, and then when you get that first meeting, be prepared. You know, yeah, the good news about talking with somebody that knows what they're doing is frankly, you can't bullshit them. So don't, <laughs> you know, you know, be very straightforward, be very transparent, be very articulate. And remember, the objective is not to close the financing. It's not going to happen. The objective is to get that venture capital to say, hey, I'd like to spend more time with you. That's the objective of that first meeting. So those are the those are three things that I would think about. And I think one that you and I talked about is, is how entrepreneurs approach valuation. Mm. Uh, you know, look, look, interim valuations don't mean a damn thing. You know what matters? How much of the company do you own at the end of the day when you're successful? That's what matters. The right venture capitalists will add a tremendous amount of value. The wrong venture capitalists will just bring capital. Now, what I've seen many times in cybersecurity is the right venture capitalists are going to drive a little harder bargain. Uh, they know this space. They, they know the challenges. They, know, they also know the customers. They know all the executives that you need. They've got the knowledge that will translate into an unfair competitive advantage for you, the entrepreneur. You want them at the table. They will improve your probability of being successful. They will also help you raise subsequent rounds of financing. I can't tell you how many people approach us all the time looking at our early stage portfolios saying, hey, when are they raising their B or when are they raising their C? And they will pay up to participate in one of our companies because those later stage investors use our expertise as a proxy for the companies that they want to be investing in. So what you're going to find is don't get hung up on that initial valuation. Think about, does this investor help me reduce risk, accelerate my growth, and improve my probability of raising follow-on capital 
in the later stages of financing and they will be worth their weight in gold. That's yeah. my advice. And yeah, again, Bob, it's uh, amazing advice. Um, uh, so I can thank you for that. And thank you for the, for the time so far today. It's been uh, insight, it's been humor, and it's been some real takeaways for, um, for our listeners. So thank you so much for, for coming on today. Hey, Ben, always a pleasure. And I hope we can do this again sometime. Me too, Bob. Well, thanks again. And uh, to those of you listening at home, uh, please do tune in next time to Growing Tech Fast. Oh,